Just stand with me, would you? I want you right now just to ask the Spirit of God to put on your heart the names of those people you know that are without Christ. Do you see their faces? Maybe you've spoken to them already. Maybe you haven't. What keeps us from sharing our faith? What causes us to not share the love of Jesus with those closest to us, friends and family, co-workers, people we go to school with, people we rub shoulders with at the grocery store, people we see at sports events? Do we really believe this Bible is true that says heaven is for real and hell is for real too. You've got their faces in your mind right now. Maybe God just brought to your, to your name, to your mind, just one or two names. Would you pray for them right now? Just pray for that. Pray for one or two, or if you have more, just start to pray right now, right where you stand, right where you sit. We just pray for them right now. Begin to pray right now. Holy Spirit of God, you have put on our heart the names of individuals that we know or we're uncertain about their eternal destiny. God, if we believe this Bible is true, and we do, we believe their promise of eternal life is only for those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so as to be saved. And God, without, without that salvation, Father, they are going to be separated from all eternity from you and from everything that is familiar and loved. God, we pray right now that your spirit would take the names of those who've been lifted up by everyone in this worship center today, and you would begin to minister right now. And God, you would bring courage and power and, and just a knowledge on how to address and how to speak to those people without Christ. God, I pray our heart would be broken for the lost. God, some of us can remember it hasn't been that long ago where we too were lost and we came to faith in Jesus. Remember what it felt like when you gave your heart to Christ and you felt the sins forgiven, the joy that came, the life that came. God, let us be an instrument to bring that to other people, Jesus. Use us, God, mightily for the kingdom, we pray in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want you to think about how the Spirit of God works like this. Just a simple S-curve, but what happens is there's times along the journey that we have in life where the Spirit of God begins to speak. He speaks through circumstances. He speaks through the Bible. And he begins to touch the life of everyone around us with the gospel. And he brings about this truth, this reality, that apart from God, man is lost. But what happens is, you'll notice this curve begins to flatten out, and that, that intensity seems to die down, and person will say, yes, I've heard about that, or, oh yeah, I, I've thought about that, or I, I need to make a decision like that in my life, but they don't. 
And what typically happens is that begins to flatten out, and then they begin to go in a spiral. And they begin to look at life, and they begin to say, you know what? I've heard that message, and they find all kinds of reasons to reject or to refuse the message. It might be religion. It might be hypocrites in the church. It might just be the confusing message of so many messages coming or the complication of not really knowing where to start and how to begin. But I want you to know that in every situation, there is always a point of return. There's a time where, where people can return and they can understand this truth. What we want to do is we want to make ourselves so available and we want to be so intentional in our prayers that when we begin to pray, we ask God the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what is keeping them from the kingdom. You see, we believe the Spirit of God speaks by revelation. He speaks and he says, now, I'm going to show you exactly where the problem is. I'm going to show you exactly what you need to say. It's not one, one kind of approach for every person. We need to know what the Spirit of God has to say. We're going to look today at the book of Genesis, chapter 6. We're going to look at a very interesting portion of Scripture. We're not going to be able to go into great detail in all of it. Uh, a lot of the, the complicated part of this particular section we cover in the curriculum, the square one curriculum. You can get a copy of that uh, in the bookstore. But let's look together what it says in Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now it came to pass when man began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. This undoubtedly is one of the saddest verses in Scripture. I'm going to put it right here. Because what happens, it tells us here that there comes a point at which God says, I'm not going to be speaking like I did back here. My voice is not going to be strong. There will come a point at which, not that I'm not willing for you to return, but because I can't keep striving, it's almost like the Spirit of God comes like a dove, and when he comes, we slap the dove away. And the Spirit of God comes again, and we say, no, not now, no, not now. And it says, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he indeed is of flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them, and they were mighty men, men of old, men of renown. The Lord saw the wickedness that was great on the earth, that every intent of his thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Can you imagine God being that grieved, that hurt, that bothered by the difficulty, the problem, the sin of mankind, that he said, I'm sorry I made man. I think what we forget is God is emotional, just like you and I are. And there comes a point at which God said, I don't know what else I can do. I've said everything I know to say. I've done everything I know to do. I don't know what else I can do. 
And it says in verse 7, the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth. And of course, we know this is the upcoming flood, both man and beast, creeping thing, birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I have made them. But here's hope. Look at verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. How many of you want to find grace in the eyes of the Lord? of the Lord. All of us. Amen. We want to know what the grace of God is all about. Noah found grace. It was a time of crisis for Noah. He needed grace. The world he knew was gone. He needed grace. 40 days of rain would come and it would take its toll on Noah and on his family. Can you imagine being in that ark 40 days, pounding away, pounding away. It's like living in Seattle, I'm sure. Pounding away, pounding away at that ark. It would take its toll. We're not told about what was going on inside that ark, what the emotional level was, and what the conflicts were, but I'm sure there were conflicts. I'm sure there was despair. I'm sure there was sorrow. Family tension would rise. But you know, God knew that Noah could handle the pressure. You know, God knows you can handle pressure. Have you ever gone through a great period of pressure and difficulty in your life and you, you, you maybe throw your hands up and you say, God, I can't take this anymore. And you know you can. But it's such a common phrase. We just say, I can't take anymore. But God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Be patient. Watch what I do. He knew he could handle it. And he was going to show grace. You see, without grace, Noah would have become angry and bitter. But God was challenging Noah's support system. You see, when God begins to challenge your support system, he begins to take the things out of your life that you've been trusting in so that he can put himself in that place where you begin to trust him on a deeper and a greater level. See, God was challenging that. He's saying, do you want comfort or do you want to know my will? Do you want to move to the next level spiritually, or do you want to stay where you are? Well, most of the time we say, well, if it's difficult, I'd just soon stay where I am. Amen? I don't want to go through a tough time. And yet then you go through that time, and you realize what God was doing. Do you know what happened to Noah when the ark landed? God basically gave him dominion, the same dominion he gave Adam in the very beginning. He basically said to him, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply on the earth. I'm going to do in you something that I could not have done before. So God opened up the windows of heaven so Noah could find grace. doesn't seem like that would be the way God would work, but that is exactly the way God works. Now let me talk to you a little bit about how the Spirit of God works in our life. John chapter 6 and verse 44 says this, No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. Now, how do we come to Christ? We come to Christ by the Spirit of God drawing us. You see, we think it's all about, completely about our decision. It's not. It's about the Spirit of God who draws us to a point where we can make a decision. So when you begin to pray for people, what you want to do is you want to say, God, I want your spirit to really just be unhindered and begin to draw those people. And then when you get ready to speak that word to them, they're going to be ready and receptive. We want to, we want to make sure that we're helping people to come to a point of decision right here because no man can come to God unless the spirit, the Holy Spirit draws him. Now, in John chapter 16 and verse 8, look what the Scripture says. And when he has come, that is the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world 
of sin, of righteousness, and coming judgment. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He comes, first of all, and he says, let me talk to you about what sin is. You know what sin is? It's missing the mark. It's falling short of what God has for you. It's missing out on all that God has intended for you and I to experience in our daily life. So sin and righteousness, well, the need to live a righteous life, the need for God to pour his heart into us and for us to live that out in a daily basis. And then of judgment, why, there's coming a point at which you say, God says, that's it, I'm done. There's coming a point of judgment. God wants us to understand these things. But the enemy has a strategy. Now look together with me. I want you to see this. This is a headline that just appeared on June 4th. With so many Muslims finding Christ, will Islam fall? An interesting article, isn't it? I read it with great, great enthusiasm, and I want to just pull uh, a quote out of it, and I want to tell a story from it. Here's one of the quotes from that article. Many Muslims are saying, if ISIS is Islam, I'm leaving. Some are becoming atheists. There is a huge wave of atheism in the Arab world right now, and many are turning to Jesus Christ. Islam was never faced with this crisis before. Now, let me show you something. We would all agree that what ISIS is doing is horrible. It's actually unimaginable. The difficulty, the struggles that are going on right now in the Middle East with that. But do you see how God, the Holy Spirit, uses that? He's taking the very instrument of destruction and he's turning it into a tool to change the hearts of men and women. Let me tell you the story. A YWAM leader, youth with a mission, said this. He revealed that prior to a conversion of an ISIS fighter that he had, he said this. The man said he had dreams of a man in white who came to him and said, you are killing my people. He started to feel sick and uneasy about what he was doing. Just before he killed one Christian, the man, the Christian said to him, I know you will kill me, but I want to give you my Bible. The Christian was killed and this ISIS fighter, believe it or not, took the Bible and began to read it and came to faith in Jesus Christ. This YWAM worker went on to say, that there is a spiritual hunger in the Arab world that is unprecedented right now among Muslims. You see, our first human reaction is to do what? Well, let's just destroy the enemy. But at the same time that we're trying to take steps to control our society and bring it back into order, the Spirit of God is working. You see that the strategy of the enemy is not working. The enemy says, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to wipe out Christianity across the Middle East. The Spirit of God says, let me show you what I can do. I will, conf- I will just confound the wisdom of man, and I will bring about the glory of God. Many of you have probably met Pastor Alex. He's an evangelist in our church to the Muslim world. He was a doctor, internal medicine. He began to pray for his patients. They began to get saved, and they began to get healed. And he thought to himself, well, what's going on here? We have a, a very unusual situation. It began to multiply over and over again, and so many were coming to faith in Christ that he quit his practice in internal medicine. Egyptian by birth. 
He began to preach the gospel on satellite. And now every week he's preaching the gospel to the Middle East and to Europe in Arabic. He's preaching to between 20 and 30 million Muslims every single week. Two to three hundred are coming to faith in Christ or being healed every single week. You see, God is doing something. The strategy of the enemy is not working. You know, in your own personal life, there's a strategy that the enemy has for you. You get to decide if it's working or not. You get to, to just fall down or you get to fall into grace. Fall into grace. You see, the Bible says that where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. Have you ever taken a basketball that was underinflated? And you tried to bounce it. We just had our, our grandsons here last week, and, and you met them if you were here. And, and we have a little basketball in the back, and it's just one of those small ones, and it's totally deflated, really. And they were determined that they were going to bounce that basketball. And they would throw it down, and it would come up about that high. Now, have you ever had a basketball that's overinflated, and you bounce it, and it goes over your head? We well, see that illustrates grace and sin. If I take a basketball underinflated and I hit it on the ground and it just barely bounces up, that says where sin did abound. When I take the overinflated one and bounce it and it goes over my head, grace did much more abound. You see, if the enemy's coming at you in a certain way, instead of just folding and falling down, you say, no, wait a minute. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Be of great joy because God has already in Christ overcome the world. So whatever that, whatever that is happening in your life, whatever this enemy is bringing at you, you just refuse it in Jesus' name and you say, now wait a minute, God, if you be for me, who can be against me? If you're in me and your joy is in me, then I'm going to just trust in your joy and trust in your strength. Let me show you another strategy of the enemy, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 26. It says, let us consider uh, one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, here's what he says. We have a responsibility to one another to encourage one another in the faith. We're supposed to bring joy to one another and speak to one another and smile to one another. I want you to just look at the neighbor next to you. Are they smiling? They are now, right? Isn't it amazing just, just that little prop can do something in your life? Now, now I want you to say to your neighbor, I want to I wanna stir up good works in you. Just go ahead and say that. Man, some of you didn't even say like you believed it. Are you kidding me? I didn't, nobody wants to do a good work after that comment. Let's try it one more time. I want to stir up good works in you. All right, let's keep going here. I want to encourage you. Because Jesus is coming back. You see, that's the motivation behind this. Because Christ is coming back, we ought to stir up one another. And it says, don't forsake the assembling yourselves together. Now, look at the next verse. This is really interesting. If we sin willfully after receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now, that's an unusual verse to put in the context of that verse, isn't it? But the Holy Spirit knew exactly what he was doing. Here's what he was saying. You see, a lot of people will come and they will sit and they will listen, they'll watch, but they've never asked Jesus into their heart. And so they hear the message, but it's going in one ear and out the other. 
And they've never really come to the point of decision and faith in Christ. And it says, if you, if you just keep on sinning and you never receive Christ, why, there is no sacrifice for your sins any longer. We started a fire the other day. Isn't it great? In California, we can actually start a fire, and you don't have to turn your air conditioning on to be cool enough to do it. And so it's been a little cool. You know, it got down in the 60s, so it's time to start a fire. So we started a little fire and had some embers in there. And you know when you get those embers going, have you ever taken an ember and just kind of, you know, been stirring it up, trying to get the air in there, and the little ember goes off to the side? And if you don't move it back with the other embers, what does it do? It, well, it, it just, that glowing red, it begins to die out. It becomes black. It begins to smoke. And, it's, and then in just a few minutes, you can literally pick it up and hold it. Because all the fire has gone out of it. It has become cold. You see, what happens is when we neglect this fellowship, when we neglect to stir one another up, we're like a little ember that gets out of the fire. And we kind of even justify, we say, well, I think I'll be okay. I, you know, I really don't need church or I don't really need to be in the word of God or I don't need to be praying. And before long, our heart gets cold and we may, may, may not be rejecting or refusing, but what we're doing is we never stay on a plateau spiritually. We're always going to decline if we're not feeding that. Joseph Prince said this about uh, another strategy, actually. When he talked about grace, he said, recognize that the devil has been using controversy as a device down through church history to prevent believers from having access to the most powerful truths of God. He built fences of controversy around healing, around prosperity, around grace, to keep believers from reigning over sickness, poverty, and sin. The more controversies you find around a truth of God, the more powerful that truth must become. I think you, I told the, uh, the service last week, the second service, because I didn't know this information until the first service was over, but we had a young girl that was uh, uh, in the hospital. She's uh, gone completely blind in one eye and partially blind in the other eye. And I went and prayed for her, and we shared that with you. Afterwards, the, the boyfriend and the, and the boyfriend's parents came up to me, and they, they spoke to me. They said, we have to tell you what happened. They were crying. They said, that eyesight has come completely back in one eye. Amen? Now, you know, people say, well, you know, does God really heal today? Well, I believe he does. I believe he does. And I believe he does more than with medicine. I believe he has a divine touch on every person who receives the healing of God. Will every person be healed? No. That's up to God. But I'm going to pray like every person will be healed. I'm going to believe like every person will be healed. You know, when we begin to see people's lives transformed like that, we had a, we, we've told this story before, I think, but, but we had a, a Muslim woman who, who came to our prayer wall and she put a prayer request in there. If you've walked out there and seen that, there's thousands of prayer requests in that prayer wall. Muslim woman with a boy, a son with cancer, brain cancer. Put that prayer request in there. She doesn't, never been in this auditorium before. She comes to that prayer wall on a regular basis. She put that prayer request in there, and she happily reported. The doctor told her, we don't know what happened, but your boy was healed of brain cancer. You see, people say, well, I don't know about that healing. Well, you know what? If you get sick, you'll know about it. Isn't it amazing we'll build theologies around what God can't do, what God won't do? Last time I looked, God was God. 
God does what he wants to do, when he wants to do, how he wants to do it, and he really doesn't need us approving of what he's up to. You see, we want to see God begin to reign in our life. We want to begin to see the grace of God extend. See the power of God's grace in everything we do. For we're saved not by works, but by the grace of God. If it was by works, we'd be what? We'd be boasting about it. Can you imagine this? Suppose it took five points to get into heaven and the maximum was ten. And let's suppose I got to heaven and I only had five points. I just barely made it in. And then I come over and I see Jared over there. And then Jared says, how are you doing, Phil? I said, great. He said, how many points? I said, five. And then Jared says, well, I had seven. And he gets a proud look on his face. He said, I had seven points. And then it wouldn't take long. Somebody else would show up with eight or nine or maybe even ten points. Who gets the credit? Well, the one who got the points. But you see, it's not about that. It's all about God's riches at Christ's expense for us. Sinclair Ferguson said it like this, The way to open our hearts to others is by receiving afresh the grace of God and appreciating what it means. Seeing our own need of Christ, coming to receive his mercy, sensing how undeserved his love for us is, remembering how he has also opened his heart to those whose hearts are closed against us. Then we will see the heart which is too narrow to receive a fellow Christian is too narrow to enthrone the Lord Jesus Christ. But the heart that is open to receive the grace of Christ will learn to welcome all those whom Christ himself has welcomed. Oh, when we have our hearts turned, when we have our hearts sensitive to what God is doing, when we begin to allow God to work, it's amazing what God can do. What is grace? Joseph Prince put it like this. Grace is not a theology. It is not a subject matter. It is not a doctrine. It is a person. And his name is Jesus. That's the reason the Lord wants you to receive the abundance of grace, for to have the abundance of grace is to have the abundance of Jesus. You know what it's all about? Christianity is all about Jesus, just loving Jesus. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Think about that. He summed everything up in that simple little saying, and it was Jesus. We just say it's just about Jesus. Well, what about this? No, it's about Jesus. Every time we move beyond Jesus, it seems like Christianity gets complicated. Just let Jesus reign in your life. And what are we to do? Well, here's what we're to do. Here's a couple of life applications. One is respond to the Holy Spirit. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? What is he saying to you right now? I'm sure when we began this service and I asked you to pray for, for some names of some people and you, were, you probably got a name or two in your mind and then you thought, yeah, but they won't listen. No, it's not. Remember, no man comes to, to, to Christ except the Spirit of God draw him. So you have to put that name down. You have to begin to pray. You have to begin to seek God, respond to the Holy Spirit, and then extend grace and release Christ. When I extend grace to people, it's amazing how they respond back. It's amazing how they begin to listen because they're, they're hearing the grace of God. They're seeing the work of God in our life. Amen? All right, I want you to, we're going to pray one more time. Let's just stand together. I'm going to invite the band to come up here. And as we pray, I want you to go back to where we began.
I want you to go back to the names of those who the Spirit of God brought to your mind when we first began this service. Maybe God's revealed another name to you. If you, if you have that name in your mind, you got that name in your heart right now, would you put them before the Lord right now? Would you ask God to give you the strength? Would you ask God to give you the power to begin to just work in your life in a mighty way? Would you ask God to, to begin to touch their heart and to touch their spirit with his Holy Spirit? Let me ask you, what is it you need to do? What changes need to happen in your life? Are you extending grace to someone? Are you extending love to someone? Have you taken the time to tell your story? You may feel unprepared. Most of us do at times. How do we really speak the name of Christ? How do we say what it means to be saved? For those of you who don't know Christ today, you know it's as simple as this. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe he was buried and rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And by faith, I receive that gift of life from Jesus. Have you received that gift? If you haven't, you can right now. You can call upon the name of the Lord, and the Bible says you will be saved. Salvation comes from the Lord. God, give us a burden for the lost. Give us a burden to see people come to faith in Christ. God, everything we do is about, is about offering up to you. It's about giving unto you, Lord. We want to just give our hearts to you right now. As God's prepared your heart for this moment, just would you just right now just release everything to him? Anything you hold on to, would you release to him? Anything that keeps you from walking in his fullness, would you release to him? What's the enemy using in your life? What distraction do you have in your mind right now? You can't get past it. That's the enemy just saying, I'm not going to let you have joy. I'm not going to let you have freedom because you've got that in your mind. Just hand it over to him. Hand it over to God. God, take that, would you? Renew my mind. Renew my spirit. Holy Spirit of God, we welcome you here. We ask you to fill this place with your mighty power. God, this is not about us. This is all about you. It's all about you, God. Offer yourself to him right now. Here I am, Jesus. Here I am, Jesus. Here I am, Jesus. As you're offering yourself to him, we're going to take our offering right now. You can remain standing. But we're going to have our ushers come. They're going to pass this offering to you. And as you see that plate, I want you to think about you being an offering for the Lord. Whether you're giving today or not giving today of your money, we want you to give of yourself. God, I give you myself today. Let the Holy Spirit of God just move your heart right now as, as these men now take and pass these plates up and down these aisles where you're standing. 
when you see that basket come by, just say, I want to be an offering for Jesus today. I want to be an offering for you, mighty God. God, take this offering I give you, and God, use it and multiply it and be magnified, Jesus. And as you do, let's, the band's going to play through this, and you're just going to worship the Lord right now.